This is a hypothetically great podcast. This is Tech News for MBAs. I'm Professor Paul Canetti. It is Friday, March 11th, 2022. So I've got a new microphone. I don't know if you can tell the difference, but this is one small step towards uh, kind of updating my setup here and thinking a bit more seriously about the podcast and my general content strategy, I guess you could call it, um, under the umbrella of hypothetically great. And um, of course, we have the newsletter and website at hypotheticallygreat.com and uh, this podcast, of course, and we'll see what else. Um, But, you know, this has for the past year plus really been in the category of hobby and now I'm thinking a bit more seriously about uh, upgrading its status. So more on that to come, but it's a great segue into today's topic uh, around what's called the creator economy. And one of the companies at the center of that is Substack, a platform for writers to uh, publish and also to sell subscriptions to their newsletters. My newsletter at Hypothetically Great is not built on Substack, which was a conscious decision. Maybe we'll get into that. And um, before we talk about Substack, a couple of other quick headlines from the week and a quick ask to you, the listener. In the spirit of understanding that this podcast uh, does take a fair amount of effort to produce each week and I do it by myself. I don't make any money from it. So all I ask in exchange, if you find this at all valuable, is just to tell someone else about it. Shoot a text to somebody that might enjoy it and say, hey, I've been listening to this podcast. You should check it out. If everybody does that, we would double the listenership this week. And then, of course, if everybody did it next week, we'd double it again and so on. And so please consider passing it on. Also, just to follow up on an announcement I made last week about my first ever NFT project called Flags of Freedom, we have successfully raised some money and sent it to Ukraine. These are images that I created that uh, superimpose the Ethereum logo onto the Ukrainian flag. The flag is called ETH for Ukraine. 100% of the proceeds from the sale of these flags get sent to the Ukrainian government directly. Uh, As we discussed on a previous episode, they've opened up their public crypto wallet addresses to send cryptocurrency to, which is a pretty direct way to give to Ukraine. And so the money raised from the NFT project goes directly there. Or, of course, you can just donate directly to Ukraine using your own crypto wallet, uh, which I have a guide on how to do that at hypotheticallygreat.com. And um, any other way that you can give, obviously, is is great. And I'm continuing to watch the situation there in horror. But um, we should remember that this is going on 
as we speak about, you know, newsletter subscriptions and these other sort of mundane topics, um, there are people who are living through this right now and anything that we can be doing, we should be doing. Okay, so let's get into a few of this week's headlines and then we'll dig in on Substack. Apple announced the new Mac Studio and Studio Display. This hardly seems worth being a tech headline. Uh, These are new computers, yes, that Apple's never had before, and a serious upgrade to their professional-level external display. It is also a new sort of naming convention that moves beyond the idea of Pro. Think about like the Mac Pro, iPad Pro, iPhone Pro, AirPods Pro, and now has this new suffix studio. Uh, And these are really built for professional use cases. But the reason that I just want to briefly mention it is because these sorts of devices and processors that are inside these devices like Apple's new M1 chips and the A13 Bionic chip, which uh, is now powering the displays uh, themselves, not even the, the computer piece, but the, the displays have their own processors. Why do you need to know that? Um, I see these as further stepping stones towards augmented and virtual reality Um Even some of the examples they gave are making 3D objects and animations more and more realistic with more and more detail. And so as we think about the metaverse and sort of representing things in higher fidelity in a digital environment, um, you know, Apple has a way of introducing these things at the high end. They're really expensive for more specific use cases. And then over time, bringing them down in cost and making them available in more and more devices until eventually it's just part of the entire Apple lineup um, and you don't even really know or think about it. And so they introduce at the top and they sort of eventually bring it down to all of their uh, devices. So something to think about, but processing speed as it relates to graphics intensity, I think this might eventually trickle down into other devices, including the long-rumored Apple Glass or whatever they end up calling it, but some sort of headset that they have in the works. President Biden signed an executive order asking federal agencies to come up with a plan to better regulate cryptocurrencies. This is sort of like a pre headline, headline, because those regulations have not actually been introduced yet. But this is a mark that the Biden administration wants there to be such regulation. And the truth is, I think almost everybody wants that. If you actually look at the price of Bitcoin, it went up after this announcement, showing that uh, at least a fair amount of Bitcoin investors feel good about introducing new regulation. Um, And I think the ambiguity of the cryptocurrency market is one of the things that feeds its volatility. Uh, It could be argued that also feeds its growth, but I think over the long term, it's probably a good thing to think about 
how this should be treated uh, by the government and by the IRS and everybody. Now, all that being said, it really depends on what the regulations end up being. So no reason to speculate um, right now. But um, I'm sure we'll do an episode on it once there is something solid to review. But uh, I think this is interesting, if for no other reason than that there is a real acknowledgement in the federal government that cryptocurrency is a real thing, it's growing, and that it's here to stay. Okay, our main headline for the day Substack released its new iOS app, an inbox just for newsletters. So first, let's just all get caught up on what Substack is. Substack says on its homepage, the home for great writers and readers. The word and is in italics because until recently, I think Substack really was emphasizing being a tool for writers, not for readers. Substack was founded in 2017 and since has grown quite quickly uh, to be one of the leading newsletter authoring tools in the world. And um, I know when I first heard about it, it was sort of presented as an alternative to something like, let's say, MailChimp, uh, an email tool specifically aimed at people that wanted to create newsletters and specifically that wanted to sell subscriptions to their newsletters. And while there were ways to do that, there was really no simple off-the-shelf way for an average person to just become an author uh, and start getting paid for their work. And then what you started to see is more popular, famous authors actually leaving their jobs at established publications, starting a substack, and bringing their audience over with them and starting to make a living that way. And Substack was even paying for authors to do that, sort of subsidizing that transition uh, to attract talent to the platform. Reportedly, they have raised over $80 million in venture capital funding. And in the last year, they produced over $20 million worth of revenue to their authors, to their writers. And their business model is that they take 10% of proceeds from paid subscriptions. So roughly, we can assume that they made about $2 million off that $20 million in sales in the last year. Uh, and they don't make anything off of the free, uh, the free newsletters. So what's interesting, though, is that they, rather than being just like a background kind of white label tool, um, they put the name Substack on everything. And so even the way people talk about it, like sign up for my Substack instead of sign up for my newsletter. And so Substack is sort of part of the branding, not only visually, but the whole idea of it. I have a Substack. I have launched a Substack. Sign up for my Substack. And that feels a little different than just sign up for my newsletter. And I mentioned before, I specifically do not use Substack for this exact reason. I want to own my audience myself. I use a content management system called Ghost. 
And the idea is you go to my website and sign up for my newsletter, which is powered by a software solution called Ghost. Um, but there's no Ghost branding there. Ghost isn't trying to sort of aggregate or uh, have some ulterior motive, at least not that I'm aware of, um, where Substack is employing one of the trickiest business models that there is. B to B to C. Business to business to consumer. I recently tweeted that B to B to C is the triple axle of business models. It is possible, but it is the hardest move that there is, and it's very, very hard to pull off. We had an episode last year, I think maybe almost a full year ago, March of 2021, called Come for the Tool, Stay for the Network, which is a famous phrase coined by the venture capitalist Chris Dixon, and that's exactly what I think Substack is trying to do. They start by providing writers with a great tool. There's a real utility for it. And like I like to say, uh, you can use it in single player mode. I am an author. I need a way to write and send out a newsletter and manage signups and payments, all that. Great. This is a tool. But then once you have a lot of writers or a lot of readers uh, across multiple different newsletters, is there a way to network them together and leverage that network into what is ultimately a consumer-facing product called Substack. It's a really, really tricky uh, way to build a business because there's a little bit of, um, I don't want to say a bait and switch because that implies uh, that they're not being sort of genuine about their intentions from the beginning, and I think Substack has been, um, but there is a switch of some sort happening where from the author's perspective, the writer's perspective, you say, okay, this is a tool I'm using for my newsletter, but wait a minute, is this my audience or is this Substack's audience? I left my job at The Atlantic to come and launch my own Substack because I don't want uh, these readers to just be customers of The Atlantic. I want them to be my customers but now it feels like they are Substack's customers, or are they both of our customers? And Substack from the early days had a basic kind of uh, feed on their website where you could see popular newsletters. Now that's become much more robust, uh, where not only do you have popular ones, but you can see the ones that you have subscribed to specifically. And now they've launched this iOS app, which when you open it feels a lot like um, a news app uh, where there are headlines uh, linking to articles. And what it is, is it's the latest edition of each individual Substack newsletter presented in a feed. See, the thing about email newsletters is that a new edition of the newsletter comes into your email inbox, but it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And when you actually have some time to read that post, that article that's contained in the email, you have to kind of go digging to find it. And of course, if you subscribe to lots of newsletters, then you have different editions of different newsletters coming in at different times, and there's no easy way to keep track of all of that. And 
ironically, the whole point of the email newsletter is that it's what we call a push kind of communication rather than a pull, meaning that it comes to the user instead of the user needing to seek it out. So an example of a pull would be me opening up the New York Times app because I want to see the stories that are there or me going to a website, whereas something that's getting pushed to me uh, is something like a text message or a push notification or an email. Here, what Substack is doing is essentially creating an alternative to the New York Times app that's just a feed of articles from the authors that you have opted in uh, to subscribe to. And so I subscribe to newsletter A, newsletter B, and newsletter C. I'll see in my feed the latest articles from A, B, and C. But of course, they also have their discovery mechanism, featured newsletters, or newsletters that you might like that are recommended to you based on your interests or who else you've subscribed to. You could easily imagine there being promoted newsletters or other sorts of paid spots or what amounts to advertising. Um, and then you could easily imagine Substack trying to bundle this into a single subscription. So instead of subscribing to five or 10 paid newsletters for, I don't know, $5 a pop each month, um, maybe you pay $19.99 and you get access to all of this great paid content excluding some sort of super expensive premium ones that are still available a la carte or different tiers or who knows. But in the end, this looks a lot like you, the consumer, having a relationship with Substack instead of with an individual writer and a lot of their energy going into acquiring readers uh, and a consumer audience rather than acquiring more writers. This is essentially a two-sided marketplace, right? And, um, you know, the hard side of the market here is the writers because you need content to attract the readers. But then quickly, uh, there is sort of a continuous cycle between the two because the reason that a writer would choose to be on Substack is if Substack has uh, the biggest or most lucrative audience. And that's really a different sort of value proposition to the writer than just the tools themselves, um, where again, there are lots of alternatives for tools. For instance, I'm responsible for driving people to hypothetically great myself. No one is helping to drive traffic there. This is very similar to something like Medium, where I used to host my blog, for instance, and now since they've added a newsletter tool that competes directly with Substack, um, and it's true. I used to write a lot of Medium posts. Most of them didn't get that much action. And then every once in a while, one of them would be featured on the Medium homepage or something and get you know tens of thousands of views in a single day. And I would say, this is it. I really made it big and look like all these people are reading my articles, but they didn't subscribe. They didn't follow me. I certainly didn't make any money from that. And so at some point I realized, even though I'm getting some sort of discovery there occasionally, I really want to own my own thing, uh, what we call in the media industry, an owned and operated property, as opposed to just sort of renting space on medium.com. And Substack seems to be trying to straddle the line where uh, you're creating an owned and operated newsletter slash website that's hosted on Substack, 
Um, or are you really just sort of renting that space from Substack again, uh, just like we saw with Medium and other platforms? And um, this in the media industry, big and small, so I'm talking about big companies, not individual writers, they deal with this exact same sort of thing. Do they want to host all their content on Facebook where they're getting all of this natural discovery and viewership? Or do they want it to be on their .com where they have to drive people um, and maybe they can use a platform like Facebook to drive there? And so it's interesting to think about maybe you launch a free newsletter on Substack that ultimately is driving traffic, a subset of your market to your owned and operated site uh, elsewhere and using their discovery mechanisms to drive people to your owned and operated property. I really have no idea. but. This is a good example of come for the tool, stay for the network, a good example of B2B to C, and a good example of where raising a large amount of venture capital, again, close to $100 million in funding over a short period of time, um, allows you to make a big consumer play. But the question is, does the value remain for the creators as you bring in those consumers and is their value for the consumers, uh, which is dependent, of course, on whether it's the only place they can get the content that they want. And so there is a natural and healthy tension there like there is in any two-sided marketplace. All right, that's a wrap for this week. I'm Professor Paul Canetti, and I will see you next week for more tech news for MBAs. This is a really good podcast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>